Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, what's up, Archons? This is Help From Future Self, and we're on a field trip today. We're at a magic stronghold for a little sealed survival. Yes, sir. Going to uh, open a couple decks, see which one we like most, and uh, play till we lose, basically. Going to be a fun day. I'm hoping I can analyze well. That's my biggest worry, is that they gave us the option if we wanted to play Age of Ascension or Call of the Archons, and I think if I was really concerned about winning, I probably would have said Call of the Archons, because I feel better able to assess the quality of individual decks. I mean, obviously, still, you get issued what you get issued, but AOA, I think, is going to be more fun across the board for everybody. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited to also expand my AOA collection and find those top-tier decks. Hopefully, there's one here today. I definitely agree. I hope, hope to open a lot of... Uh... Good stuff. Is there a house you're looking for when you open these up? Yes. Do you have a preference on AOA houses yet? If I can get a Martian Generosity Key Abduction deck, I will not be sorry. Actually, I'm, I, li I like lo Logos and Sanctum, so either one of those I should be happy. I'm looking for Redacted. I want to see if I can make that go off. I'm so curious. Yeah, I think ideally a, um, a Logos Sanctum, maybe even... Shadows would be cool, but I mean, so far from my own experience, I feel like if you get a shadow discombination, you're probably sitting pretty for a good point. Still dominating. I'm just hoping to open fun and exciting things. You have the best attitude, Rick. I love that. Yeah, that's great. All right, we're starting. We'll check in after. All right, so you just heard us talking about the event that we were at this past weekend. And now we actually get to talk about what happened during that event through the magic of podcasting, a little bit of time-lapse. My name is Alex, a.k.a. Scuzzy Gruen, and I'm joined by my Keyforge pals, Blake. Yo. And Rick. Hey, what's up? And you, of course, are listening to Help From Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast between Keyforge friends. Guys, did you have fun at the event on Sunday? Yeah, I had an absolute blast. It was a great time. It was such an interesting format that led to so much interesting play. And one of the things that I thought was really fascinating about it was that so many of us, in fact, almost all of us chose to play with Age of Ascension decks, which we were kind of debating a little bit there in the intro segment. And that led to, I think, a lot of things where some strong decks won lots of games and then lost a game and then had to fall back into another deck, which I thought was really interesting. So nothing was a given as far as uh, the way the day played out in terms of who was winning and who was still included in the tournament. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. It was uh, it was really unique. And um, so my experience with the tournament was uh, amazing. I took down the tournament. Congratulations to you, sir. Thank you, sir. It was, and in the final, the last deck I was facing was a Coda deck. It, I think it was the only one. It was in the finals. And it was not an easy match at all. It literally came down to, um, like, I think it had been one of those things where if there had been, so, like, the other person had started sort of thing, we had swapped, uh, it could have gone the other way. It was getting a little touch and go at the end there, but I had some cards that were putting in work, and um, the guy had a routine job shadows set in his uh in his uh coda lineup so it was it was pretty gross to play against but it uh it worked out okay rick how about yourself how did how did you uh, find the tournament i had a little bit of difficulty with analysis of both decks however i was able to determine one deck being better than the other and i actually chose to ch to get rid of the lesser deck first interesting I found to be a better strategy. Unfortunately, I didn't have in that one game with the second deck, I didn't have long enough to learn it. And I 
bowed out in two rounds quickly, hoping to do better next time. That is kind of the bummer about having this format instead of Swiss rounds is that you're really yeah. only guaranteed two games. Um, you, yeah. If you do okay, you'll get more, but it is one of the things. But, you know, there was some some play that we got to do outside of that. Like, after I got oh, eliminated yeah. in the third game, I, I went and played uh, some other stuff. Eliminated by my co-host Blake, of all people. <laughs> How are you going to do me like that, buddy? I'm sorry. I did feel bad afterwards. <laughs> it felt dirty. <laughs> oh, that was a very good deck, though. Um, but, uh, Rick, you bring up something interesting that I actually wanted to talk to both of you guys about, which is... You look at the two decks for an event like this, and the format, as we said, is you get two decks sealed, you choose which one you're going to go with, you play with a deck till it's eliminated, then you play with the next deck till it gets eliminated, then you're out of the tournament. Do you choose the more powerful deck or the less powerful deck going into it? Is that the idea? So if you choose the more powerful deck, then chances are that uh, you, you may get further in the first couple of rounds, but then you may not have any kind of fallback position if that one goes down versus you may end up with a loss on your record, which could matter if you're getting two, uh, you know, wins versus losses at the end of the tournament. I, that's but, not actually how it went. Um, oh, really? So after you left, basically how it worked was it was true survival. So I ended up playing someone I'd already played before. Ah. And it basically worked until no, there was one person who had one deck remaining and no one had any decks remaining. That was that was how it went. It was a long tournament. Like, we started at 1230, and I didn't leave till 5. So it was the longest tournament we've played uh, at a store, I think. Wow. Yeah, so it was it was long. So we just kept going and it was a matter of um it got really weird at the end too where one person had a buy so like you're waiting to see who wins that game and then you play and you just kept going and it was it was a true survival series and it was it was a lot of fun. My goodness. Yeah, it's a little hard to figure out especially with a format that none of us had played before how long the actual day is going to go, which is one of those things about tournament planning that you have to really be ready to set aside at the very minimum in my experience 4 hours. Yeah. I think four hours generally means you're safe, but I mean, mm -hmm. you know, uh, if it's like, uh, if you're playing like eight matches over the course of a day, like you're at, uh, one of the vault tours, it can be like seven hours longer, Yeah, you know, and depending on how well you do and whether or not you decide to drop out. But, uh, I, I guess, uh, I'll, I'll pose the question to you then Blake, do you start with the stronger deck or do you start with the weaker deck and which did you actually start with? I started with my weaker deck. My way of evaluating was, uh, count creatures, count a uh, bonus ember uh, count creature control and ember control and then uh, whichever one seems to have uh, more of an advantage uh, that's the one i went for mm -hmm. and um, i chose so i identified what the one that i won with as the better deck and i didn't start with that one and the main reason being is um, you're just starting to play keyforge for that day most likely so you're not in that mindset fully yet uh, you're not you haven't played against anyone so this way uh, you're kind of getting warmed up, and it's just the odds of going that many rounds with two decks. Uh, so we had 10 players, so that was essentially 20 decks that had to be, uh, or 19, I guess, in the end, that had to be uh, beaten. So I just thought the odds of you being able to go perfectly with your best deck is very low. So mm -hmm. it's better to go as far as you can with the one that you don't think is good, and then you're into the playing, and you kind of are seeing the way things are coming out, especially... It's still a relatively new set. Like, I mean, as much as we know the cards well, I'm still discovering new things all the time. So you have the ability to see a little bit more of that. And then once that one's knocked out, you're like, okay, now I got the one that I really have faith in. I feel warmed up. I, I'm aware of some maybe mental mistakes I was making or like being sloppy play, anything like that. You can uh, you can allow that to be put to the side and now really focus and 
and put in your your best work with the deck you think that is the best. And that's the strategy mm-hmm. I went with, and it worked well for me. That's a good strategy. I kind of wish I had gone with my weaker instead of my stronger deck because my weaker deck got eliminated very quickly. Um, it was ultimately a case, though, where I felt like I was a, not 100% sure which one was the stronger and which one was the weaker deck. And I think I was blinded by the fact that the weaker deck had a lot of, like, kind of cool things about it like it has a maverick it had uh, a legacy card in it so it had all kinds of stuff in it where i was like oh man this is going to be so cool to play with and i'll save this one for later yeah exactly it was shiny and then it just ended up not being able to really do anything like it had neat stuff in it but it didn't cohere whereas my stronger deck had a lot of things that just independently worked really well for it um it had like two copies of binding irons which is actually a, a actually super nasty thing to play on somebody especially early game yeah let's not talk that (laughs) (laughs) as well it also had uh some of the cool new mars cards and it was my first shadows deck for age of ascension so i really really feel like uh yeah yeah and you know of of the cards in it you know it had a lot of things that did a lot of work for me for example uh it has uh life for a life with brend the fanatic which is fantastic combo for stealing uh lots yep. of amber very quickly 100%. it has whistling darts and then also misery exploit twice oh, over so in dis so lots of good combo potential and it you know i think it's a deck that's going to play relatively well and in fact i only lost my second game because i came up against what i think is going to be a a potent combination that you're going to see a little bit more of um maybe not quite to the level of lands from the first set but certainly one that uh you know uh, when you run up against it is very hard to get past i'm going to lay it out for you so this is a, a local player, a very good local player named Jonathan, a friend of the podcast. Um, I've played against him many times and have lost to him many, many times. He's a very good player. <laughs> uh, I think we've all like uh, played quite a bit with Jonathan. Over I've only the got to play him once, actually. We were, we were talking about that. When we played in the tournament, it was only the second time we've ever played. So, um, yeah, him and I are looking forward to jamming more games. Well, that's almost like in in our local scene. That's when you keep like the two the two hot players uh, apart from each other, so you can get the money match later. You don't want to have Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage wrestling on uh, every single every single card. You got to save that for WrestleMania. Yep, good old Ten Chains. <laughs> yeah, that's right. His nickname is Ten yeah. Chains. I JD forgot Ten that. Chains. We'll have him on the cast for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, he had this combo in this deck, so I was very close to winning. Like, literally, if he hadn't been able to pull something off in the turn, I had I was sitting on 12 amber uh, to forge my third key, and uh, I didn't think there was anything he'd be able to stop me with. And what he was able to do was, he had Professor Sutterkin out. So Professor Sutterkin's deal is that uh, it is a Logos creature with the ability Reap, draw a card for each friendly Logos creature. He had three other Logos creatures on the field. He chose Mars, and he popped down Brainstem Antenna. So the deal with Brainstem Antenna is this creature gains, after you play a Mars creature, ready this creature, and for the remainder of the turn, it belongs to House Mars. So you could probably see where this is going. Professor Sutterkin reaps. Jonathan would draw three cards for his three other Logos creatures, play another Mars creature, reap again with Professor Sutterkin, play another Mars creature, until eventually he had drawn basically his entire deck into his hand, and then he played key abduction for his third key and won the game. It was incredible. Like, I wasn't even mad at that point because I was like, I honestly could never have seen this coming. And, you know, that is not the hardest combo to get together in a deck. Uh, Brainstem Antenna is rare, but Professor Sutterkin is common. 
And uh, Key Abduction is not that rare a card. It's an uncommon either. So I feel like there's probably going to be a bunch of decks with this out there. Even without, like, the Key Abduction part, Professor Sudikin's got to be, like, one of the more powerful cards for Logos in this set. Like, pop down uh, something like Rocket Boots on it, and suddenly, you know, you can, in a Logos turn, be drawing, like, six or seven cards if you uh, if you adhere to Rule of Six. Yeah, that is that is insane. Well, you can only do it twice with yeah. Rocket Boots. That's true, yeah. Yeah. I have a double Sudikin deck. Oh, and nice. I was drawing eight per turn. Whoa! Yeah, that's gross. Absolutely, my goodness. One other thing with that combo, because you know, as everyone knows, the Martian Generosity Key Abduction combo yep. is a real thing that people are going. And if you add a brainstem antenna with that as well, that would be, I mean, that could get out of hand real fast. It's certainly one of the best combos that I've seen in the new set. Like one of the ones that really made me stand up and go, "Holy wow!" The other one, and I don't think we've talked about this on the show, is one that uh, Scott, another fellow that we play with regularly, has in one of his decks. And it's Binite Rupture, which is the uh, Logos card that just everybody, it's an alpha card, double your uh, 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 the amber in everybody's pool. And then he immediately follows it with an interdimensional graft, which is after you forge a key, you get that's, the other person. That's pretty well known. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a, people don't like it though, because it it's it's hard to, like getting just those two cards is super hard and if you're in a position where uh it, it can sometimes just not work out it's a it's a harder one to pull off but yeah that's that is a, a nasty combo if you get it off you make yep. yeah. it feel so good and then suddenly they feel so bad <laughs> i mean it's it is certainly one of those combos that is not good late game because you no. really don't want to put your opponent in a position to forge a forge a key especially if they might have something to stop you from forging even with all of your amber so let me ask you this question, gentlemen. Uh, would this be a format that you would want to play every week, or is this like a very special occasion kind of format, this two-deck elimination business? Well, I mean, the the cost is, seems pretty high, like it just to weekly have to do that. But I, I do like it as like something every once in a while, and I think it's important to do something like that because of the fact that a lot of Vault Tours go off of multi-deck analysis. Yep. So you're not really getting that opportunity to to uh, have that comparison between more, just one deck and deciding which one's good and the strategy that goes with it as well. It seemed like a lot of people in our tournament were just like, I'm just going to choose this one. There was no real thought. It was just kind of a randomized choice. I mean, we only had five minutes to really yep. make the analysis, and we're also sleeving at the same time, which I don't think I'm even going to bother to do Like, yeah, I d- going I did it, forward. I did it once. There was time in between. But, I mean, that makes sense because a normal sealed, you only have two minutes. So. Yep two decks is five minutes i think that's pretty standard i guess uh when i played at the vault tour we had 10 minutes to do the three deck assessment but that also included sleeve time for the one you chose but then at mm. the same time too you're literally just going at that point you know you're literally just picking one deck and the other two just go in your backpack never to be seen again until you pull them out and play them later oh, okay gentlemen it is time for one of our favorite segments of the show this one is called over under and it's one where we pick a card and we say whether it's been over-delivering based on our expectations or under-delivering based on our expectations. Blake, have you got one for us? I do. So this is a card that actually is from the deck I used in the tournament uh, that went to the end. Uh, it's called Entropic Swirl. It's an action card from Logos. It's a rare. And it says, uh, play, choose a creature. For each trait that creature has, deal it two damage and gain one ember. Um, the versatility of this card is phenomenal. I had in my deck a Bren the Fanatic, 
and I had a Jar Google, aka Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> and I basically was, I also had two Archimedes in the deck. So I play Archimedes and I play like, I could play a Brend on one side. I could play, then I was normally doing a Jar Google on one side though. And then I would put a card underneath. Then I'd play Entropic Swirl on my Jar Google. It gets dealt four damage because it has two traits. I gain two Ember. I now house cheat the card I just put underneath it into play, and then it gets archived so I can do it again next turn. That was oh. a combo that I did to great success, and I did it over and over again because I also had life for a life, so I could basically set it up again next turn, call Shadows, and do the same thing. And I can do the same thing with Bren because Bren's only got three power and two traits. Again, four damage dealt. Bren's gone. I steal three. So it was a really great card. Uh, super versatile for triggering um, effects on my own creatures with a destroyed ability. And then I also could use it if I had a problem on the other side as well, and it had four, like, just deal four damage, get two ember. I mean, at the end of the day, removing something and getting two ember for a card is great value, never, never mind anything else that you're having going on. So it definitely overperformed. I, did, I didn't even think at first about using it against my own creatures, and then I had that aha moment and i was like whoa this is gonna be really awesome and it just worked it was like an engine for me a lot of the time rick have you got an over under for us an over under not really but i definitely have one that's under watch for myself it is a shadows card and it's called lethal distraction it's an action says play choose a creature for the remainder of the turn whenever the creature takes damage it takes an additional two damage that i actually played against you alex Mm -hmm. during turn one of the sealed and it seems like it's going to be an amazing card for me. It's going to do some amazing work and clear the board, I think. Yeah, I could see that being really powerful with something like Whistling Darts. Yep. Or even if you had, um, what's the, the Throwing Stars one, where you gain yep. Ember when you destroy it, because then you're basically dealing, is it would be dealing three damage every time, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, that's really cool. Alex, what is your over-under today for us? I got an under, I'm afraid. Uh, so I was really excited when I saw two of this card in my Shadows uh, layout. Um, and I thought it was going to do more for me. Um, I had two Furtive Investors in my deck. And uh, Furtive Investors is a Shadows action with great artwork, actually. It's got a, a typical Shadows creature showing off a little suitcase full of Amber. Old Bruno, if you remember old Bruno from the first set, is off in the background. Uh, you get a pip of Amber for playing it. And it says, if your opponent has more Amber than you, gain one Amber for each key your opponent has forged. Um, this just wasn't going off for me, and I don't know if that's just the nature of this deck in particular, but I find oftentimes that Shadows, unless you are specifically hanging back to try and steal up that Amber, uh, isn't necessarily going to do that, and I don't necessarily feel like that's as much of a strategy in Age of Ascension as it was in Call of the Archons, where people were sitting on, you know, I'm not going to get a bunch of Amber, I'm going to keep a low Amber count so that I can play a bait and switch or a too much to protect or something else like that, uh, I, I feel like more often in Shadows, people are racing up and using what they can to get their uh, get their Amber built up real quick. So Furtive Investors, while it might have been a great card back in the old uh, the older set, uh, it just wasn't working out for me on this one. So uh, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it'll do more work for me in future, but as of right now, I feel like Furtive Investors is under-delivering. It's funny that uh, you say that, because I was debating talking about that or Entropic Swirl, but that I didn't have in my deck that I played this weekend. This one I mm-hmm. did. And I would agree with you. That's a major undercard. Uh, I mean, when you're in that situation, it never goes off. For me, that card reads, 
play this and gain an ember. That's that's mm-hmm. all it is for the pip that exactly. It, has. it never goes off. I've never seen anyone. I've actually only seen it being pulled off one time. That's it. I think I think it's a very mediocre card. We have a general consensus because I too was looking at a, at that card for an under this week. One of the things that I think we're going to get to at a certain point with our assessment of cards as new sets come out and as we start to really boil down what makes a good card down to a science is that right now I'm willing to give cards that give me an amber, like a pip of amber, a lot of leeway. But Mm -hmm. I think that a science that's going to come around at a certain point is the science of what is the opportunity cost lost from having this card versus another Shadows card, any other Shadows card. Is this better or worse than any other Shadows card that could be in this deck? And I think that that's going to be a statistic that we're going to be talking about at some point in the distant future. Opportunity cost. I agree. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've talked a little bit about the tournament that we were at. We've talked a little bit about what we learned about some cards in the over-under sense from playing in that tournament. But... There's also broader lessons that can be learned from every experience playing Keyforge. We like to call this segment Help from Future Self. And it's one where we talk a little bit about a lesson we learned from our gameplay over the last little while. Rick, do you have a lesson you learned from playing Keyforge this week? I have, thanks to playing with Blake on uh, TTS lately, I'm learning just how good of a card Jargoggle can be. Getting cards underneath it and getting destroyed and house cheating other cards into the into the game haven't really pulled it off yet with the deck that i've got it in but uh i am seeing that it's it's gonna be pulling some work that's a good lesson and i also feel like that's like once you've got like introductory key forge down those kinds yeah. of house cheat combos and cards that enable that that's like your second level of of key forge understanding breaking the rules of key forge 100 one of the things that our friends over at the keychains podcast talk about all the time is that any card that lets you break the rules of key forge is probably a powerful card and i feel like that's a great example of it the jar google the jar jar binks letting you do like both enabling cards that give you bonuses for killing creatures allows you to key cheat it's got a lot of versatility exhumes i think falls into that category as well in this new set Mm-hmm. Exhum is fantastic. I'm a big fan of it. So for my own part, my help from future self moment this week was a reminder that sometimes you need to slow down and read the cards that are on the table, even if you know what they do in your head, because it is so easy in this set to forget everything that is going on in your board state. I'm totally with you on that one. That's That was my thoughts as well for this week. Yep. I had a lot of missed opportunities from play this week because I had Mars as one of my houses, and there are so many effects that you can get from Mars in this set that you really need to remind yourself are there. For example, the Glixel Proliferator. If the Glixel Proliferator is on a flank, archive a Mars card from your discard pile. I had that card on my flank for like three turns in a row. Did not archive a single card because I forgot. I didn't spend the time analyzing my board state and reminding myself of what needs to happen. I had a similar thing happen with the Grovekeeper. Grovekeeper is an untamed creature. At the end of your turn, put a plus one counter on its neighbors. I forgot to do that turn over turn. So the lesson the for me this week is... You have is to reap, though, to, to get that one. It's a reap ability. Yeah, it's a reap ability. But oh, okay. it is very powerful. Okay. One way or the other, there are t- opportunities that I had that I noticed I missed out on having because of that. So once again, read cards, 
remember cards. And just because you know what a card does when you put it down, that doesn't mean that you can't remind yourself turn over turn to make sure you're getting everything that you should out of your board state. That was my help from future self moment. I agree with that, Alex. I think also it's just in general, I think taking a beat and just kind of analyzing everything that's in front of you and in your hand instead of rushing to make a play sometimes is is a really, really smart way of thinking, especially in a sealed tournament because their 45-minute rounds are not the typical 35. So I think that taking that little bit of extra time just to kind of check yourself almost and make sure you are truly aware of the whole board instead of uh, in between turns formulating your plan and then something can't, comes out that completely changes the dynamics and you already had your mind made up. It's it, There's nothing wrong with taking a little bit of extra time. Absolutely. absolutely. I find that I rush because... I'm always scared of getting called lo- slow play. I don't think that's ever happened to us, though. I think I think you can take that take that risk, especially when we're in a uh, in a format that has more yeah. time. I think we're also benefiting in many ways from the fact that Keyforge is still a young game, less than a year out in the wild, which means that everybody's kind of in the same boat. Um, very early mm-hmm. on in my Keyforge playing experience, I had somebody on the Crucible tell me I was playing too slow and quit the game. Um, but I've only ever had that experience the one time. And I feel like people are pretty understanding, especially where, where we've got the new set out. Everybody's still learning the set. Everybody's still trying to figure out what the card interactions are. And it's a pretty friendly community overall. Yep. Yeah, I agree. All right. You have been listening to Help from Future Self. My name is Alex, a.k.a. Scuzzy Gruen. and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under that handle. Blake, where can folks find you online? I go by Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight. And uh, I'm on Twitter mainly. And then I also have a YouTube series where I put out videos uh, going over content and whatnot. And entertaining videos they are. Rick, where can folks find you online? The Wheeling Keyforger on Twitter. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be here again next week with more chit chat about our favorite game. Until then, keep forging. <laughs> <laughs>